Spencer Bell for the Team of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio covers minor league prospects and also uh, perhaps more relevant to this edition of the podcast. He covers um, the international market as well. He does it for Baseball America, and his name is Ben Badler. In Dave Cameron's most recent appearance uh, on the podcast, I asked Cameron a question about international bonus slots. Of course, the Rays, for example, have recently acquired three international bonus slots from the Miami Marlins. That served as the entree to that question. In the midst of Cameron's answer, we both decided that while Cameron's answer uh, was perhaps sufficient, it might make sense to get some manner of second opinion from an expert in these matters. Ben Badler is an expert in these matters. As I say, he covers international baseball for Baseball America. In what follows, I ask him about the changing face of the international market uh, since the new CBA, what strategies he and his colleagues at Baseball America use uh, for compiling their top 30 international prospect list. We discuss some specific players on that list, and then we end the podcast because I had to. It has to end. It has to end. It is Fangraphs Audio. It features... Baseball America's Ben Badler, and it begins right now. Well, you probably know it as the state just north of Massachusetts. Yeah, I was yeah. just there, uh, just there yesterday. Saw the uh, saw the Fisher Cats. Yes, you could see Daniel Norris pitch there, among other prospects. Yeah, I saw him pitch. Uh, he got uh, he got two guys out through like thirty five pitches, and then he got then he got yanked. So, wasn't uh... no, that's not the best scouting trip. Um, but I was, yeah, I was thrilled. It's actually it's interesting because right, he has um, especially since I mean that start notwithstanding, uh, I think his first three starts with with Double A, he was lights out in almost all of them, wasn't he? Uh, I'd have to go back and check. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he's been fascinating because when he started his career, he was in the, the Appy League and he just got completely torched. <laughs> and it was like, uh, just this guy with good stuff who, who couldn't, couldn't really master the strike zone, was getting hit around a lot. And now, now he seems to have, uh, finally the light bulb seems to have turned on. And then, yeah, last night it seems to have, uh, <laughs> gone out for a little while. So. Now, did you notice, uh, uh, and I, most of what I want to get to here is, uh, international, uh, conversation about international baseball, because, uh, you're the guy to talk to about that. You cover that for Baseball America. Um, and I am, um, I, I realized that, um, during the most recent edition of the podcast, actually, with Dave Cameron, uh, how, how, uh, absurdly little I know about it, rel- certainly relative to how much I probably should know as someone who writes about the game. That said, I would like to ask another question about Daniel Norris, um, because sure. because I do know because um, my sense is that uh, for pitchers in particular, there can be a there could be a, a, these epiphanies, right, where um, perhaps by learning a new pitch or changing a grip or adopting uh, an, an, a mechanical adjustment, that um, a pitcher's performance can increase uh, greatly above and above and beyond what what you know. Um, he's been producing of late, um, and as you mentioned with regard to Norse, uh, he's produced he's produced better numbers. He seems to have better command. Is there something that that you saw explicitly, uh, maybe a, a, something mechanically, when he was pitching poorly, or or did it, did it was it just a, I guess a almost a negligible start just because you you only got to see two outs worth of pitching basically? Yeah, it's it's tough to really make. Uh 
complete or, or any kind of an evaluation based on a guy when he just throws 33 pitches and, and gets yanked in the first inning. I mean, it's you can see, you know, the, I think a lot. You're right. It's I think player development matters more for pitchers than it does for hitters. Uh, I think it, at least on you know offensively for hitters, uh, defensively I think guys can uh, really transform themselves in, in some cases, but. Yeah, offensively, I think the swing is something that just comes either naturally or, or not for the most part. Uh, whereas with pitchers, yeah, you're right. You, you know, you, you can learn a, a new pitch or, or you can alter your mechanics in, in some way, and, and that can take a guy who can't really find the strike zone, and all of a sudden he's, you know, like like Norris had been <laughs> until uh, until a couple of days ago. Uh, all of a sudden, finding the strike zone, I like think Baldo Jimenez was was just like that. Um, and I think his, I think with Norris, I think his athleticism, he's, he's a really good athlete. Uh, I think that athleticism has helped him make adjustments. And you, you can see in his delivery, it's, uh, you know, he throws across his body, uh, that creates some, so he's not throwing directly online to the plate. That can create some issues with throwing strikes. Um, and just yesterday, his, you know, his release point was, was wandering. It's, uh, it's not the easiest, smoothest delivery, but, uh, you know, you can see the athleticism was there. When if he's able to keep it in sync, uh, he, he should be able to have success because of the stuff. But I mean, didn't really get to see much of the stuff yesterday anyway because he was he just got removed so early in the game. Okay, so I'm going to um, to change topics here. Uh, Sands, uh, any sort of um, segue? As I as I noted, you are the, uh, you cover um, a lot of international um, stuff for Baseball America. And I do want to start with some absurdly naive questions, but um, I trust that you will be patient with me and, uh, and uh, I guess, the listeners in turn. Um, I guess the first question I want to ask is just fundamentally, how has the international – how has international scouting and the international market generally, I guess probably with an emphasis on, on Latin America – how has it changed recently? How has it been affected by the new um, the new CBA in particular? I guess is the question. I think what the new CBA has done is so every team now gets the, the first year was was a couple of years ago. Every team had a two point nine million dollar uh, bonus pool to work with, and except for the Rays, who really went slightly over their their bonus pool. Um, First year, pretty much everybody has, has stayed in line, uh, or did stay in line with their bonus pool that first year. Uh, last year, we saw the Cubs and, and the Rangers go over, uh, and this year we've seen uh, the Yankees go over to to an unprecedented degree uh, with with their spending probably upwards of, of fifteen million dollars, not even including uh, the taxes that they're going to have to pay on the overage. Uh, the Red Sox have gone over. The, uh, the Rays have gone over, and, and the Brewers, it sounds like they're trying to trade for uh, more pool space to fit everybody in without paying that maximum penalty. Uh, but what I think the, the pools have done, and, and I, th- this may also just be the – this may have happened anyway just because of the, uh, the increased presence that everybody, every team seems to have in terms of the investment uh, in Latin America or in – the international market, but I think one of the ramifications has been that teams are trying to come up with any edge they can, and teams think, okay, well, 
you know, we'll come instead of coming to an agreement with this guy in in March or or April and, and locking him up, why not be aggressive and come to an agreement with this guy in December before these guys go to this big uh, MLB showcase in, in the Dominican Republic in January. Um, so whereas that showcase in January probably should be uh, the beginning of, of the scouting season, it's it, or not the beginning, but one of the, the big uh, moments leading up to what should be a long scouting season leading up to uh, July 2nd for the next six or so months, uh, instead, that's almost now like a, a deadline <laughs> to get a guy agree, to, to agree to sign uh, so that by the time they go to that showcase, or, or if they even go, they're, they're, it's too late for anyone else to, to act. So I think one of the ramifications has been seeing these earlier and, and earlier agreements, which are technically against the, the rules, but MLB doesn't seem to ever do anything about it. I think it would be... Um, Probably a poor decision if, if they ever decided to actually uh, clamp down on these agreements. But I, I think you're just going to see earlier and, and earlier agreements being reached and, and teams being even more aggressive in the market. Yeah. Now you mentioned that uh, the, the sort of uh, uh, coming to an agreement with the player before the actual the was it the July second deadline? Is that right? Right. Yeah. July second is the first day that uh, these 16 year old kids can sign. So. Um, that's that's when you see teams spend I think like fifty percent of their uh, entire international spending uh, within the first week of, of July uh, after July second. So uh, you know you, you can sign these kids twelve months a year, but that's really just the the beginning of, of the signing period. Yeah, well, well, you you mentioned that these things uh, uh, these uh, these arrangements are technically against the rules. It seems like um, there are quite a few things about international signings, in particular as they occur in Latin America, which are either technically against the rules or which occupy a, a very gray area within the rules. Yes. <laughs> um, I know that, I mean, so again, most of my exposure to it will have been through the film Pelotero, um, but that, you know, that sort of um, you know, brings to light some of these issues. I wonder, is do you sense that the new... CBA, um, including the new the, the way that the um, the pools work for for bonuses, has this altered the way or the the sort of the involvement that we might see in situations, for example, where the Pirates scouting director is uh, intimidating Miguel Sano in in the movie uh, Pelotero, or um, or the way that you know maybe Major League Baseball in general was. Attempting to suppress the signing bonuses has that has it has that further um, increased that situation? Uh, I don't think the team so much are trying to suppress the bonuses of players. I think I think the whole point of the bonus pools themselves are to suppress the bonus pools uh, or are, are is to suppress the spending that teams do. Uh, internationally, the, the bonus pools are, if, if you talk to, I would say, probably the overwhelming majority of scouts who work internationally do not like the bonus pools. They don't want restrictions. They don't like that uh, a team like the Astros has a $5 million international bonus pool because they have been a terrible team at the major league level, whereas teams that 
win games at the major league level are, are basically penalized uh, in the in the international market. It's you know it's it's one thing I think to already have in in the draft say okay well we're going to give the Astros the first pick and uh, the team with the best record is going to pick last and okay you can see where a guy like uh, you know having Bryce Harper and, and Steven Strasburg can really turn a franchise around uh, pretty quickly but uh, internationally it's 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 hard to make the case that uh, the Astros or or the Marlins or some of these other teams should really benefit when these guys are. You know, four years away from contributing in a in a best case scenario. So, uh, you know, the the reality is the bonus pools are are there to keep bonuses down. And and one of the things that's you know even though the bonus pools are uh, technically went up a little bit this year, one of the things they took away was that every team previously had in the per the CBA had was allowed to sign six players for $50,000 or less that wouldn't count against their bonus pool. And this year, again, per the CBA, those were taken away. So MLB can say, oh, well, yeah, the bonus pools went up a little bit uh, this year by one point, uh, some small number percentage. But in, in reality, they're, they're taking away uh, $300,000 uh, per team that can that – can, that adds up to $9 million in, in the aggregates. So uh, in reality, the bonus pools are down. Uh, that doesn't mean that spending is, is down. Obviously, we, we saw what the Yankees uh, did this year. Uh, just them alone, I think, are, are going to drive the, the overall spending up uh, when the final numbers for the year come in, uh, even without the, the Rangers and, and the Cubs being able to sign anyone for, for over $250,000 this year. But, I mean, the entire point of... Uh, the bonus pools is, is to suppress uh, and, and curtail the, the rising cost of spending. And I, I think it, it has done that. I think if, if the bonus pools weren't there, we'd see spending at, at even higher levels. But uh, certainly, I think that's that's been the point of, of the bonus pools. It's, it, and it's done its job to to a certain degree. But uh, then you see some of these teams that the, the talent is just there, and, and they want to uh, they want to acquire it, even if it means paying the penalties for it. So yeah. So obviously, at this point, the the Yankees. In particular, have seen some advantage to um, to spending uh, this money, regardless of the penalties that are going to come with it. Uh, I mean, do you, do you have a sense of the soundness of their strategy? Is there anything to suggest that uh, the return on on investment from um, Latin American players is still is still that much higher than uh, it might be spending the money elsewhere? Or perhaps is it because the club has the money and they can't spend it spend it elsewhere because the um, the way that the uh, slots are so well defined now in the amateur draft in the United States that if you have the money you might as well spend it even if there is a, you know a a penalty that goes along with it in the international market. Yeah, I think in the Yankees' case, you know, they they don't have a they have one of the smaller bonus pools this year internationally. Uh, they're probably going to have one of the smaller ones. Uh, next year too, um, there's really not that. You really only rewarded with a bigger pool, I think, in the top ten or, or so teams. Otherwise, it's pretty flat at the bottom. Uh, you look at their draft. I think they they didn't pick until I think it was in the 53rd or 55th was was their first overall pick. It was it was pretty late. They didn't have a first rounder. So you know one thing, you know if if you just limit yourself to your bonus pool, you're probably going to get. You know, you have a two million dollar bonus pool or so. You might get 
one guy who's a, a real premium player. That's what the Yankees did last year. Uh, they got Leonardo Molina, a 16-year-old Dominican outfielder, still a 16-year-old uh, Dominican outfielder. Didn't turn 16 until uh, August last year. He was a, a guy who projects as a center fielder. Uh, that is, is still going to take a little time, but uh, he's got premium tools at a premium position. And then they, they ended up signing uh, Yonaris Rodriguez, a shortstop, who, who didn't make our top 30, but uh, you look at, at what he's done uh, so far in the Dominican Summer League, he was supposed to be a guy who was a defensive-oriented guy, uh, but he's he's shown he can hit in games and, and get on base as a pretty interesting guy. So at the, at the ultimately, you're going to get one guy who, who who might be at the very high end of your list and, and another guy who uh, might, might be on your top 30 board if you're a team, if everybody's uh, prep lists are going to look very different when you're scouting these 16-year-old kids and, and 15-year-old kids in Latin America. Uh, but you might get one or, or two guys who you really like. And, okay, so you do that over a, a three-year span, and, and you're going to get maybe three premium guys, three or four premium guys, uh, and, and then maybe a couple other guys who would rank in a, a top 30 kind of guy. Uh, in the overall market. So you're getting three to four, maybe five or six guys uh, over that three-year span. You know, what the Yankees are doing is they're saying, let's just go after every guy we like. <laughs> I mean, this is they have the money uh, to do it. This is a team that can afford to, uh, you know, pay the, the overage tax of, of 100%. Um, they don't have that first-round draft pick this year. So why not get, you know, for them, I mean, I think on our top 30, they're, they're probably going to wind up with about uh, seven or, or eight guys, including, uh, you know, one of our, our number two international prospect, Juan de Leon, a, a really exciting Dominican outfielder uh, with, with terrific bat speed who's, who's been able to hit in games and uh, really profiles well in right field. And I think they ended up with about four or will end up with about four of our, our top ten guys. So, uh, you know, you end up with that's four premium guys in, in one year. Plus, maybe I'm sure on. I think on our boards, it's probably going to end up being about eight of our top 30 guys. I'm, I'm sure on their list, it's going to end up uh, being higher than that on, on some of the lower end guys that, that they sign. So I'm sure they're looking at it in a three year span and saying, "All right, well, instead of waiting around for three years and, and getting three, four, maybe five or six guys, let's just go this year and get ten guys right now." that we really, really like and really have high on our board and, and be aggressive and sign those guys. And then, yeah, next year we're, we're not going to be able to sign a guy for, for $300,000 or more or, or the year after that. But, you know, that's that takes you out of the, the premium, premium level guys. But, I mean, there's a lot of guys, and, and they've had success uh, in that under $300,000 level, be it, you know, Luis Severino, who's the top pitching prospect uh, in their farm system right now, uh, Thyro Estrada, uh, who's a pretty promising shortstop in, uh, actually he's injured right now, so he's not with, uh, their, their New York Penn League team. Uh, but he, he was there. Abiatal Avellino, another pretty exciting young shortstop that they have, was also under that range. Uh, and then there's some things you can do to, like you said, maybe not, uh, uh, maybe something that's not explicitly, uh, or is, uh, it's something that would be, um, I'm not sure how MLB would classify it, but you know you can you have some wiggle room there to okay you sign a guy for you know three hundred thousand dollars another team is offering a little bit more money okay you go to the trainer 
as what some of these teams do, who the trainer who has this, this player, and you say, all right, well, well, we can only give him $300,000, uh, but we'll sign this other guy from you for, you know, $250,000, and we'll give you this, uh, this package deal. And at the end of the day, you know, the trainer is usually the one who's the decision maker in, in this process. So if one team is offering, you know, $400,000 for a player and, and, you know, another team is offering, uh, 300, but the, the package takes, the package deal takes it to $550,000 for the trainer. Um, you know, that's, that's another way to, uh, sort of get around these rules that, uh, I think we, we've, uh, I'm 100% certain we've seen some teams doing. So I think their strategy is to say, let's, let's get as many top players as we can this year. Uh, and then, you know, the next two years, yeah, we'll have limits, but, you know, we we have a proven track record of getting guys in that range and, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to certainly find some guys within the, the next two years under 300,000 will, will probably be as good as some of the guys they, they ended up giving the, you know, the big seven-figure bonuses to this year. Now, when, when you go about composing uh, the the top 30 list that you mentioned, I, I mean, I imagine that uh, this is not the easiest of endeavors. This is not a, a case where, uh, you, you know, you know, in the States, uh, it seems as though things are pretty well covered. Maybe I'm just being naive about it, but there seems something very mysterious about the entire process going along with evaluating the talent in the Dominican. If for no other reason than the players are quite young, and uh, and because it's, there's less regulation, I guess was the other thing. So I'm curious as to as to how you and uh, your colleagues at Baseball America go about composing that list. Whether it's a question of trying to um, see players in person or trying to acquire video of them through whatever means, or uh, as you do a lot for the Prospect Handbook, for example, um, using contacts within the industry? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things we try to do is uh, uh, tear back that layer of, of mystery that, that seems to exist. Uh, you know, the process for doing it is, uh, you know, every year I'll, I'll go down to uh, the Dominican Republic and, and see players in person. So I, I saw the majority of, of guys who were on that top 30 list this year. Uh, but it's, it's really easy to make mistakes based on seeing a guy, especially in these big showcase environments, especially if they've already had agreements in place and let's say are not giving a hundred percent effort at the, uh, the showcase. Um, it's really easy, even even if they don't have an agreement, to go in and say, "Oh, I saw this guy, you know, in a few games, or I saw this guy pitch a couple innings, and, and think you have them all figured out." Uh, Fifteen and, and sixteen year old kids are, be it on the baseball field or, or off the field, are, are not known for their consistency. Um, you might see a guy who looks like a superstar one time and, and then he talked to other teams and they said, no, that's that's the best he's ever looked. We've seen him a lot before then and, and since then and that's that's not the kind of guy he is. I mean, I, you know, Waskar Inoa as a pitcher this year just signed with the Twins for $800,000. If, if you just saw him at that MLB showcase, um, you know, he, he looked like a, a potential frontline starter there. You know, then I saw him two more times in, in Arizona to go to spring tra- when he was at uh, spring training, uh, and, and he really struggled out there, and, and that really uh, that really hurt his stock out there. And I, that's actually another another uh, factor of, of the bonus pools that we were talking about. It's you know if, if you don't do some of these early deals, uh, which you know Noah did not do, um, 
you know, that that can really hurt your stock because a lot of these teams will maybe I, I, I'm certain there are teams that valued uh, lost Carino over eight hundred thousand dollars, but by the time he he was looking for a deal, he, he was looking for a lot more money than that. Teams that, that really liked him had already spent their all their pool money, and, and they weren't going to go over and, and pay the penalty just to sign him. So um, that's just another impact that the, the bonus pools have, have had on these guys, and another reason why it drives the market so early. But you know, the majority of, of the process involved in putting together these reports and, and putting together these lists is, is just talking to as many scouts who uh, who have seen these guys as possible. I mean, I've I've talked to the the majority of, of teams uh, about all of all of the top guys, so uh, it's always interesting. You, you, you run into uh, some players who uh, you know have widely uh, you know wide split of opinion on on guys depending on uh, how they see them, when they've seen them. Again, these are not guys who uh, you know in the draft. It's you know everybody sees Carlos Rodon or. Uh, or Kyle Schwarber basically in, in the same setting. You, you go and, and you watch their their college games during the season. You, you watch them with Team USA or, or in their summer leagues the previous year. Uh, all the all the information is is pretty much public uh, that that you need, or, or at least ninety to ninety five percent of it. Whereas in the international arena, you're talking about okay, maybe you're going to see these guys playing in one of these. Trainer organized leagues like the Dominican Prospect League or the International Prospect League or, or one of these MLB showcases uh, or maybe an international tournament. But for the most part, a lot of the evaluation is done by uh, bringing these guys into your academy uh, for for a day, for a week, for a month, and then running running them through whatever scenarios uh, the team feels is is best to do. Whether that's putting them in uh, in, in game situations against their uh, or simulated game situations against their Dominican Summer League guys, or uh, having them throw live BP, or, or having them run through certain drills, whatever the team wants to do to to work these guys out and, and get a better feel for them, uh, that's what they do. So one team, the Yankees, might bring a guy in for a week, um, and then the the Cubs might bring a guy in the next week, and those teams are not obviously uh, sharing that information. So. Uh, that's that's one of the reasons why a lot of these teams sometimes have uh, such dramatic uh, differences of opinion sometimes on on some of these guys. So um, it, it's uh, it's a tricky process. It's it's fun though. It's like uh, it's like putting together a big, very challenging uh, puzzle that uh, that you never really get to finish. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's 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 you know there's some similarities in, in our process to uh, organizing this list. Uh, compared to what we do for the draft, but uh, there's definitely a lot of unique aspects to it that, that make it uh, a lot more challenging than, than really any other list that we do. Now you, you mentioned that the yeah the the level or the quality of information uh, in the, in the international market is going to there's going to be a a, um, a lot more variety than than there is uh, among domestic players among domestic amateur prospects. I'm curious uh, if, since uh, that signing date, July 2nd, if you've seen if you've seen uh, any prospects receive uh, dramatically more or less than you would have otherwise assumed, given uh, the information that you and your colleagues had. Um, that's that's one of the things. It's I think in the process of putting together the list, there's certainly guys who. Uh, 
got much more or, or, or less than what we would have expected based on the industry consensus of their talent level. That said, I don't think there were too many surprises on July 2nd because uh, just from talking to so many people, you, you get a sense for uh, where these bonuses are, are going to end up, even if it, it doesn't really line up with the talent level um, of or, or the industry consensus to such a, a degree that uh, something exists in international scouting of, of a player's talent level. I mean, you take a guy like uh, Archimedes Gamboa, uh, Venezuelan shortstop. Uh, that, an amazing uh, name, by the way, too. Yeah, I, as soon as I said that, I said he, he's going to say something about the name. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a, a fantastic name. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is a Venezuelan shortstop, 16 years old, uh, a lot of quick twitch athleticism, plus speed, a lot of guys like his uh, ability to stay at shortstop. Not a not a ton of impact with the bat. He's, he's not going to get out there and, and hit 20 home runs, but – uh, some guys really, uh, some guys really like a swing, especially uh, you know left-handed bats. Um, guy who, who has hit in games for for some teams uh, can run, can field at a premium position. This is a guy who signed for nine hundred thousand um, dollars, and we ranked him number eight. And, and we knew at the time that uh, when when I ranked him number eight, that there were going to be guys below him on that list that were going to get uh, a lot more money. But uh, the signing bonuses. Uh, I tried to, you know, they they do have some uh, correlation with with talent level sometimes, but uh, I think historically we've seen that that always hasn't always been the the case. So, uh, you know, then you take a guy like uh, Dermis Garcia. Um, it sounds like he has a, an agreement with the Yankees for uh, probably about three million. Um, you know, he was a guy who, uh, you know, pretty consistently you, you can see the the raw power that he has is, is better than anyone else, but. Uh, uh, there's a lot of questions on whether he's going to be able to take that power to the the game. So, uh, but you know, the Yankees have uh, an, an incredible uh, international budget this year. So, um, you know, his uh, the fact that he gets three million dollars when when the team has fifteen million dollars to spend. Um, you know, I, I'm sure it's uh, he's, he's a higher higher risk player than uh, some of these other guys, but. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, we ranked him number nine below Gambo, and I think the uh, most scouts would uh, would probably take Gambo over Garcia. What's the uh, what is the well? You actually you mentioned Oscar Inoa, which I, I I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is the younger brother of Michael Inoa. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he is the younger brother of, of uh, Michael Inoa, who's who's probably the, the most glowing scouting report I've, I've ever had on a on a pitcher. Uh, with uh, with his older brother, who's uh, obviously succumbed to uh, quite a few injuries since uh, since then. Well, yeah, I was I was going to ask if if you had um, a, a, a Michael Inoa status update because he did after signing what I think was at the time and maybe still is the largest international bonus. Uh, he had sort of a, you know a glow around him, and as you mentioned, the, the scouting reports were very promising. What is what is what is sort of current state of Michael Anoa? and and I, I guess to, to follow up to what degree do you think the Anoa signing and his lack of sort of substantial production up to the point or any major league production maybe has or has not altered how teams approach uh, their you know their international signings? Um, yeah, I mean Anoa, he got uh, he basically missed three years with uh, with injuries. Uh, or, or really almost 
Um, yeah, three years with injuries. He did play a little bit um, in 2010, but it was, it was very brief. Really just uh, arm injuries have just kind of zapped his career. Right now he's uh, he's a reliever in the in the A's Cal League bullpen. Um, he still, you know, he, he throws hard. He throws a little harder uh, than when he signed. But, uh, you know, best case scenario, he gets to the major leagues and, and can be a, a middle reliever. But... Uh, I think his his stock is is obviously much uh, much lower than it was when he signed. Um, uh, I, I think teams look at him as maybe maybe a, I think there's certainly teams that look at 16 year old pitching prospects and say, look, no matter how good this guy is, you know, we're not going to go spend our, our you know a million dollars, or we're not going to spend uh, the majority of our bonus pool now on a 16 year old. Uh, pitcher, uh, you know, there there have been some huge success stories, uh, be it uh, Irvin Santana or Felix Hernandez, Julio Tehran. Um, you know, these guys were were big deals when they were 16 years old, and if they've come through, uh, but I think uh, you know Noah is just one example why you know even if a guy has these you know outstanding scouting reports and you know as as athletic has a, a clean delivery has size projection. Uh, you know, quality stuff too. I think a lot of teams are just going to say, "Look, a 16-year-old pitcher, especially with how many injuries are going down right now, you know, we can, you know, we'll spend our, our big money on bats, and then, you know, if, if a guy wants to sign for, a, you know, a more modest bonus for a, a pitcher, we'll, we'll, we'll try to work with them and, and see what we can develop. Uh, whether it's, uh, you know, a Jordano Ventura." Or uh, Luis Severino, who's you know a solid uh, you know mid-range type of bonus, but you know we'll spend our money on on these you know lower lower level pitchers uh, in terms of the bonus money, and, and hope that these guys can uh, project and, and develop down the road. Well, uh, I'm going to uh, stop harassing you uh, pretty quickly here, uh, but the last thing I want to ask you was how your your Spanish is coming along. <laughs> the Spanish is uh, it's it's all right. It's um, it's uh I can communicate with uh, with people. It's it's not to the point where I would uh feel comfortable doing an interview with uh with somebody and, and quoting them, uh only because then I would I'm sure I would uh uh butcher something. But uh uh it's it's coming all it's you know, it's it's when you're not living full time in uh in a Spanish speaking country it, it is a little more uh tricky just because you're not uh fully immersed but um, it, one of the good things too is that most guys, uh, you know, even if, uh, it seems like most people in, who work in, uh, Latin American baseball speak, uh, English and Spanish, or if it's, or if it's just Spanish, there's, there's never really been any, uh, issues communicating. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's coming along. Have you, uh, have you acquired any particularly, uh, saucy Dominican, like, uh, your Dominican phrases in particular, Dominican uh, expressions? Saucy, no, it's, uh, maybe. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, there's always like, uh, it's more just like baseball type of uh, Spanish that wouldn't be so useful in like uh, a classroom, but the kind of stuff that uh, uh, is more useful for uh, for baseball terminology than, yeah. uh, than, than getting an A in your, in your Spanish course. Yeah, well, the the former, the, the baseball terminology is obviously more relevant to your life at this point. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's what they and that's what they teach uh, a lot of the programs when they teach 
the, they teach kids English at the Dominican academies. It's you know, learning English, but also let's learn some baseball English so that when your when your coach is uh, is talking to you, you actually have a better idea of, of what he's talking about, or you, or you understand the terminology that's 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 being used too. Right. Hey. Oh, well, that's uh, that's excellent stuff, Ben Badler. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Carson. Yeah, that's great. Uh, uh, we'll stick around for one second, but we'll say goodbye to uh, the listeners for the moment. That has been Bab- uh, Ben Badler covers uh, international baseball, international market for for Baseball America. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you.